This is a life-changing message brought to you by Fellowship of Champions Church International, located in Conway, Arkansas. Listen now as Pastor Sean Strickland teaches you to walk in love, live by faith, and experience God's prosperity in every area of your life. All right, so we're talking about faith for the impossible, and let's just start with this right here. If you look at a situation and it seems impossible, it indicates that your focus is on something other than God. If you look at a situation and it seems impossible to you, that is the indication you can always measure where your expectation is by how you view the situation. If it seems impossible to get out, it is because your focus is on something other than God. Now, that's great because nobody else can measure what your focus is on but you. But you got to ask yourself, when I say I'm believing God, am I really believing God or am I looking at what I can see? Am I going by what I feel? Am I going by what my past experiences have said or am I fully focused on what God is saying? Amen. We looked at Matthew, the ninth chapter on Sunday, and we're going to go back there. No, let's go to Mark 9 first. Say, I'm ready for the word. word. Amen. Now, you excited about the word? You got to be excited about the word. Your excitement will determine the level of the miracle that you can receive. Is there anybody in here that's expecting something today? Amen. If you're, you gotta get, you gotta get. And it's not even about you yelling. It's just that it's very easy when you're ministering to people to tell that they're bogged down by what happened to them today or yesterday or whatever. But you can't get deliverance bogged down by what happened today. Amen. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. Why don't you take 30 seconds and whatever it is you need to throw off of you, throw it off of you so that you can receive the word. Well, I'm not sure how to throw it off of me. The best way to throw something off of me is to begin to exalt God. It's to make God bigger than my situation. I, I, I know it's hot outside. I know it was hot in here a few minutes ago, but this ain't the first time you've been hot. And being hot shouldn't steal your praise. Maybe you got a headache. Well, the fastest way to get a headache is to get rid of a headache is to begin to exalt the God that cures everything. Maybe you don't have enough money in the bank, but you're not going to get enough money in the bank worrying about not having enough money in the bank. you got to learn how to open up your mouth and say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make a boast in the Lord. What does it mean to boast in the Lord? It means that even though you tried to put sickness on me, he's still my healer and I believe that I receive. Even though you tried to take Take all my money. I'm not moved by that because God supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory. You got to learn how to stir yourself up in faith. Forget about what happened. This place ought to be like a refuge for you. The moment you walk in here, you ought to throw off whatever's been holding you back and say, I've come to bless the name of the Lord. You can't just come to church because it's the right thing to do. You gotta come to church with an expectation to see God do something in your life that you ain't never seen before. 
you got to have an expectation that God will do something every day of your life that you've never seen him do before. That's how we live with an expectation that today God will do something in my life I've never experienced before. It'll so change my life and prepare me for tomorrow. And tomorrow God will do something else in my life that he's never done before. I never expect God to provide for me the same way or to meet the need the same way. I just know he will. In Mark the ninth chapter, you find an account of a story, and it talks about somebody who was in a bad situation. There was a man, and he had a son. We've been using this story for weeks. This son had seizures. I love how in the Bible it says that he was demon-possessed. But, in, but now we call them seizures and give them some medicine. I, 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 I love how Jesus just said, let's just call it what it is. I ain't create nobody to have seizures. I ain't create, no, create nobody to be maintained by medicine. So let's just call it what it is. It's just an affliction from the enemy. Why is that so important? Because if it's just a seizure, then maybe I can manage it. And if it's just a seizure, then lots of people have seizures. And if it's just a seizure, maybe God gave it to me. But if I call it what it is, which is something other than God created me to be, then I get a lot more aggressive about getting it out of my life. Maybe you don't have seizures. But your problem is poverty, because that's what we was talking about on Sunday. But 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 you 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 just you won't call it what it is. That poverty's a spirit that's not from God and not the will of God for your life. So, so you just say, well, everybody's having a hard time. And then so, because you believe everybody's just having a hard time, you don't ever get sick and tired of being one of the ones that's having a hard time. You just keep on having a hard time because you won't call it out for what it is and say it's an affirmity that is sent against me that's not how God created me. So I go to my job and I get excited when they gave me a 15 cent raise an hour when in reality 15 cent don't do nothing for me. And by the time they take the taxes out, I can't tell I got nothing. Because my expectation is that I've become so dummy down to what God wants. And so in tune to what the world says is acceptable that I don't even resist it when the world tries to put me in the box that everybody else is in. Let me tell you something. This is for real. I hate when they make kids color inside the lines. It put them in a box early on. Says this is the only way to do this. From the moment kids get in school, that's what they're trying to teach them. This is the only way to do this. This is the only way to do this. You ever been in a math class and you got the right answer? But because you, because you didn't do it the only way, the, I mean, the, the, the only way the teacher said they could do it. That's what the world does. No, no, no. Let me tell you what your box is. That God can only provide for you through your job. That's your box right there. That's the box you live in. That's the little place you've drawn yourself into. That's why you say, I'll do it when I get paid. Because your box in your life is, 
that the only way that God can take care of me. So I tithe and I give and I believe God, but the only way that God can take care of me is by a job. But yet you work a job day after day after week after week after week that never gives you everything that you desire. But yet you won't just step out the box and say, Lord, I thank you for the job. But that ain't the only way you got to bless me. Hallelujah. So this man had a situation. Man, come on. You know, you know, church folks. Man, he told his friends, he said, I'm going to see Jesus. I believe my son go get healed. Man, I don't want to see you get your hopes up. Man, your son been dealing with that for a long time. What makes you think Jesus can do anything about it? And then he gets to the church, and his first encounter with Jesus is actually disappointing. Well, you say he didn't encounter Jesus, but he encountered those who followed him. And those who followed him should have been able to do Whatever Jesus did. So his first experience with Jesus is like, I'm not really sure if this is going to be better than any of the rest of them doctors and them leeches and all that other stuff. We done tried to get these seizures away from this boy right here. And then just as he's about to leave, Jesus comes down off the mound and, and, and Jesus sees all this commotion. And Jesus, the, boy, the man tells Jesus, he says, look here. He says, I, I brought my boy here to your, to your church people. And when I got here, I found out that your church people, they couldn't do nothing. Jesus turns to the church people and he says to them, why exactly couldn't you do it? Why don't you have no faith? Ask your neighbor, say, neighbor, why don't you have any faith? Oh, oh, I got faith. No, no, no. I'm talking about mountain moving, world shaking, changing situation faith. Why, why, Why don't you have any faith? Jesus deals with the man's faith. He deals with the disciples. He's like, I'm just going to talk to y'all later. Hold on. So he starts dialoguing with this guy. He starts talking to him. He's dialoguing with him. If you notice, before Jesus typically does something for someone, he always dialogues with him. He's trying to identify their faith. He starts asking them questions, seeing what their response is. And this guy does something that to me is one of the most profound statements in the Bible. He asks Jesus, he says, if you can do anything, help me. Jesus says, that's the wrong question. The wrong question is not what I can do. The question is, what can you believe? The man got a revelation. He's like, wait a minute. This ain't about you. This is about me. So the man says, I believe, but help any place that I don't believe. To me, this man is a great example for every time God is challenging us to believe for the impossible. I believe you can, but help me wherever I don't believe. I believe you want to, but help me everywhere I don't believe it. Help me deal with anything that would keep me from receiving what it is that you're trying to do. And it says, and Jesus was moved with compassion, met the man right at the point of his need, and gave the man exactly what it was the man needed. And it says, the boy was immediately healed. Not that it took him six weeks to work out the seizures. 
Not that he had to spend the next three or four years periodically not knowing what was going to happen, whether today was going to be the day of us. But immediately, because the man's faith mixed with Jesus' power, there was something explosive that took place known as a miracle, known as the impossible. Hebrews says, Jesus the same. Yesterday, yesterday, and forevermore. So if it was possible when Jesus walked the earth to have an encounter with him that could so mark a person that it changed their life forever, is it not possible today? And if indeed Jesus has not changed, then the church today has the same problem that the disciples had. You don't take God seriously. What do you mean I don't take God seriously? Whenever God tells you he's going to do something for you, you get back in your box and try to figure out how he's going to do it. You get back in your box, God says, I'm going to get you out of debt. You, um, I don't know nobody who got that much money. He do. Um, God says he wants you to get a job making more than you ever made. I don't have a degree. Did he ask you? He, I mean, he is God. He is God, right? So God would know what degrees you have. He would. I mean, he is smart enough to figure out, since he is in the future, the present, and the past at the same time, even if he wasn't sure in the present if you had a degree, he could look back in the past and see that you had never completed the degree, right? But you got to take God seriously. No man comes to Jesus looking at Jesus and doesn't receive. When I say you don't take God seriously, I don't take God seriously. It means that you measure what God can do based on what you can do. I'm not saying you don't love God. I'm saying that when you're in a situation, you measure God's ability based on your ability. Why not measure your ability based on what God said? Why not have a mentality that says the moment God says it belongs to you, everything that had hindered you from getting it before has been put to flight? And when you really receive that, you'll get excited. When a word like that comes forth, when I say to you, a Pastor Elwin or Nietzsche says to you, everything that has plagued you has been put to flight, you'll look at everything that's held you back, and you'll mean that stuff ain't in my way no more? You mean I can run full speed ahead? You mean there's nothing anybody can do to stop me from prospering except that I don't take God seriously? It'll change your attitude toward the word. You'll stop being casually acquainted with the word and become intimate with the word. Because you'll find out that everything you're ever going to need to prosper is found in that word. So this guy gets his son healed. Hebrews 4, well, he says to them in Mark 9, Mark 9, he says, all things are possible if you believe. All things are possible if you believe. Tell your neighbor, say, all things are possible if you believe even that. What, no, no, no. Whatever your that is. All things are possible if you believe even that. All things are possible if you believe that too. 
1 John 5 and 4 says, Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory. This is how we secure our victory. It's through our faith. It is through my ability to believe that God is bigger than I am, That, but, God, no, but even though God is bigger than I am, more importantly, God is bigger than my enemy. He is bigger than my adversity. He is bigger than my circumstances, my sickness, my disease, my bank account. God is bigger, and so I keep God where he belongs, which is on the throne. Mark, Hebrews, the fourth chapter, tells us, it says, be careful that when you're given the message of faith, that you don't reject it. Thinking that you come too late to receive it. He says this same message of faith was preached to the children of Israel, but it didn't profit them because when they heard it, they didn't believe it. What's an example of that? I believe God can heal, but I'm not sure if he can heal me. I believe that God gets people out of debt, but you don't know what I did. I believe that God can give me a good relationship, but I already got two kids. You don't take God seriously. You keep measuring God by you. And every time you measure God by you, you're going to end up disappointed. Because in case you haven't figured it out, you can't do it. If you could, you'd have already done it. So why in the world would you and I measure God by our own incapacity to do it? We've already proved that we had the, didn't have the ability to do it. He says, all right, he says, this, it, it, the word won't profit you. I'm not talking about a feeling. I'm not talking about you shouting, you take off run. The word won't profit you until you believe it. The word won't profit you until you stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at the economy. Stop looking at the job market and look at Jesus the author and the finisher of your faith, the high priest over your confession who just wants you to give him something he can work with. Amen. The word possible means able, powerful, mighty, strong. It means to be able to do something. It means to have the power for something. It says all things are possible. Possible, it, come, it also comes from the word potential. You know what potential means. Potential means that you have the power to do it. But just because somebody has the potential to be great doesn't mean they'll ever actually be great. Really what potential means is that you got the power on the inside of you, but it's lying dormant. Well, the Bible tells me that greater is he that's on the inside of us than he that's in the world, which means that you and I have the potential on the inside of us. The question is, will we ever believe God enough to be God, to let God do what he wants to do in our life? You got the potential. 
in Hebrew, I mean, in Ephesians 3 and 20, he says, now unto him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think according to what the power that's working on the inside of you, not the power potential laying dormant, but the power that you have activated with your faith. So I got to use my faith to activate the power that's on the inside of me. And the only way that I do that is that I got to stop looking at myself. I got to stop looking at my circumstances. I got to stop looking at my bank account. I got to stop looking at my family members and I got to look at God. And I got to make a decision that whatever God says it is, whatever God says it is, it is. I've received it right now as a present possession, whatever God said. Why is this important? Because there are things God desires to do in your life right now. There's a testimony God want to give you right now. Because the moment you get it, it sets somebody else free. There is a blessing that God wants operating in your life right now. Because it can change the world. Amen. But you've got to get your expectation up. In Isaiah 60, go there. We talked about this on Sunday. Isaiah 60. It says, Arise and shine. The, the message, the Amplified says, you can keep it up there in King James. In the Amplified it says, Arise from the depression and the prostration that your circumstances have kept you. Charlie's come in here and lay down because I want lay down on the stage so they can see this. It says, you got circumstances holding you down and you think they weigh a ton. But they really only this. And you keep wanting somebody to come and get circumstances off of you. You keep hoping a job go do it. You keep hoping a man go do it. You keep hoping your mama go do it. But he says, no, the instruction is you arise and shine and let whatever, make whatever has been holding you down get up off of you. Because here's the revelation. It doesn't have the power to hold you. You don't need somebody to come and help you from outside because you got help from the inside. He says, so get up. Get out of bed is what the message translation says. It says, put your face in the sunlight, the S-O-N light. Put your face in the revelation of who God is so that you can be free. Get out of bed. Tell your neighbor, say, get out of bed. Because y'all work better when y'all talk bad to each other than when I talk bad to y'all. Tina never say, quit laying around waiting on someone to rescue you. God has already rescued you. 
does not count this thing that you're going through a light affliction compared to the glory that's about to be revealed on the inside of you. But glory was never designed to just be inside. The purpose of glory is to show up outside so that somebody else can see it. Hallelujah. It says, get out of bed. Quit laying there waiting on someone else to rescue you. Quit wanting Jesus to come down. Romans 10. Hallelujah. You got to get your expectation up. We're going to look at a couple of points when we get toward the end, and you're going to be able to measure your own life. Romans 10. It says, look at this. Verse 6, Romans 10, verse 6, it says, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh this wise. It says, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above? Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ again from the dead? But what saith it? It says, The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. What is this word of faith? That if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. He says, if you will, go to the next verse if you can. Verse 9, it says, That if thou confess in the mouth the Lord Jesus, not just for salvation from eternity, if you'll confess that the Lord Jesus is the Lord of your healing, if you will confess that he is the Lord of your finances, if you'll confess that he's the Lord of your mind, if you'll confess that he's the Lord of your marriage, it says you shall be saved. You shall be delivered. You shall be redeemed. You shall be out of broken out of destruction. But the revelation is that Jesus is not just my Lord in eternity. Jesus is my Lord right now. I got to confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and I will be delivered. People spend all their time using this scripture to lead people to Christ. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you read it, it does not say you'll be delivered from hell. It says you'll be delivered from what? Whatever. That scripture does not say thou shall be saved from the lake of fire. It says, you shall be saved. The Greek word is sozo. It means to be delivered from destruction. It means to be whole in every area of your life. It means to escape the um, the torment of the enemy. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, over what? Over my job? Over my life? That's why I'll freak out if I lose my job. Because Jesus is Lord. And the same Lord who got me that job and take care of me. He, he Lord over my finances. He Lord over every area of my life. I confess Jesus Lord. So when sickness will show up, I go, you can't be Lord here. We already got a Lord. His name is Jesus. 
And when Jesus hears sickness isn't allowed, I'm sorry, sickness, you can't come here. You don't belong here. This place is already occupied by a Lord. I say to my, my checkbook, no, 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 we can't be broke. Because Jesus, who is my Lord, became poor that I might through him become rich. Poverty, you can't be Lord of me. I already got a Lord. His name is Jesus. I've already confessed and believed in my heart. Therefore, I'm saved. Saved. No, duh, saved. Saved. I'm not getting healed. I am healed. I'm not getting rich. I am rich. I'm not getting whole. I am whole. I am saved. I'm already delivered. Think about this. This Bible was written years and years and years before you showed up on the scene, and it was past tense then. So how was it past tense then and present tense or future tense now? I'm saved. Shout, I'm saved. Hallelujah. Got to change your thinking. Because if you don't change your thinking, the impossible, the deliverance from the impossible will show up in your life and you'll miss it. God will give you a bridge, a way into something you've never experienced before and you'll miss it because you're looking at yourself. You can't save you and praise God you don't have to. Amen. Matthew, the 14th chapter. Are you guys learning anything? Man, you got to understand what it means to walk by faith. It says we walk by faith and not by sight. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that I deny my circumstances. It means that I refuse to let them trump. Anybody know how to play spades? Anybody ain't good at playing spades? Well, you know if you ain't good at playing spades, there's some called a big joker. It'll work against anything. It don't matter what the suit is. It always wins. The big joker always wins. God, Jesus, is like the big joker. It trumps everything. But if you ever played cards with anybody... Anytime people got the big joker, when people got other little cars, they talk a lot. When people got other little cars, they talk a bunch. But when people got the big joker, people over there counting their books, people like, mm, that ain't going to never, mm. But when it's time to play the big joker, the big joker always come out after somebody think they don't want something, right? But the big joker shut everything down because when you play the big joke, you play it like this. You don't even say nothing. You just be like. They be like, oh, I thought that was going to walk. Then you might say something like, I'm not sure why. You ain't count your cards right, baby. That's how to be, how you ought to be when affliction come in your life. That's how you ought to be when affliction come in your life. It look like you ain't got nothing in your hand. It look like it ain't no way you can win. It look like you about to get set, but you still got the 
But the problem with the saints is you act like Jesus is two of spades. Maybe he walk, maybe he don't. Maybe he get a book, maybe he don't. Come on, man. In fact, Jesus is not like just having a big joker. Jesus like having all the spades. Jesus like having all the spades, and they got the ace, and they run that book, and they thought it's going, bam. Then they run that ace of diamond, bam. Then they run that king, bam. But you got to change your mindset about how you see God. I'm trying to give you an illustration that'll make sense to you. But you got to use your, you know, I mean, you got to change your, you got to change how you see God. You know, it's like two little kids about to have a fight. And you go get your big brother. It's like y'all was both four about to have a fight. You go get your 15-year-old brother. It's over. You're like, what, what, now what? What you got to say? But you, you can't have this mentality that you got Jesus, and then in a crisis situation, you talking about how big the devil is. The devil got me on the run. Shame on you. The Bible says that he ought to bruise your heel, but you ought to crush his head. It never said you ought to be running from the devil. If you running from the devil, you out of position. What you running from the devil for? I, I, I think I'm number one on the devil hit list. Caribou. Number one, the devil defeated. I just wish, I, I wish I could get three Christians to understand the devil is defeated. If he defeated, why are we even talking about him? They did all that stuff in the NBA Finals between Shaq, I mean um, Kobe, and, and, and LeBron, right? Because they thought it was going to be between Kobe and LeBron. But it wasn't between Kobe and LeBron. But it would be like Orlando saying that they lost because LeBron. He wasn't even a factor. If you're a believer, my God, if you don't get nothing else, understand that the devil is defeated. The devil can't stop me from getting well if I use my word. The devil can't stop me from getting a job if I use the word. The devil can't stop me from doing nothing if I use the word. Because greater is the word than the devil. I think that people get this misunderstanding in their mind that like God and the devil is equal. And we're not really sure who's going to win the fight. Baby, in case you ain't realized, the fight already won. It's already over. Did you read your Bible over there in the Colossians where it says that he went to hell? He beat the devil up in his own territory. He went to his house. He stumped him. He beat him down. Took his authority. Came back. Tossed the keys to you and said, now rule and reign till I get back. Really, in reality, for the believer, it's like fighting an old person with no teeth, no legs. They can't gum you. They can't hit you.
trying to change how you see God, how you see the devil, and how you see yourself. Just say this. Say the devil is defeated as long as I walk in God. Now, I want to be clear with you. You and the devil one-on-one, you're going to get knocked out. You was never designed to fight the devil in your flesh one-on-one. You're going to get your tail toe out the scene. But if you in Christ, he is not a match for you. And he don't run when you come in the room because you don't know who you are. He don't back up off your stuff because you don't know who you are. Faith for the impossible. I got to believe that no matter how long I've been in pain, I can use the word and get out of pain. I got to believe that no matter how long I've been broke, I can use the word and get out of broke. He preached the gospel to the poor. You don't have to be poor no more. I know your family line been poor all your life, but you got a new DNA now. It's called Jesus. So you ain't got to be poor no more. It don't matter what side of the track you came from. It don't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what your gender is. All that matters is that you get to cry, Abba, Father, and you have the right to access whatever Jesus had. Amen. Matthew 14. We're just looking at Jesus and what he does. I really encourage you, take some time and read the Gospels. See who Jesus is. Who is this Jesus? Said so that Jesus had been out and people had been following Jesus for three days. Three days they following Jesus. They done run out all their little snacks. You know how we travel when we go on church picnic. That wet chicken in that foil. They following Jesus. With their little lunch baskets. They ran out of food. They started following Jesus. They kept following Jesus. Church folks again. They said, got to watch church folks. Jesus, you need to go ahead and cut this meat short. You know, these people hungry. He says, feed them then. The first thing they did was look at their money. I know you want to talk about the disciples. But I bet if you check yourself, you act a lot like them. Every time God says something to you, the first thing you want to do is look at your money. This all the money we got. But gee, I want to get you a house. But this all the money we got. I want to buy, God said to you, I want to get you a new car. You go look for a new job. This all the money we got. I want to go on vacation. So what kind of, what can I sell? What can I do? Have me a garage sale. How much, this all the money I got, Jesus. Can I ask you about your money? Just to be clear, I knew how much money you had when we started talking about this. I'm not shocked because you ain't got no money. You got to read the Bible with some imagination. These weren't these little 
formal conversation. These were people that walked with Jesus every day of his life. They had an intimate relationship. They were like, Jesus, what are you talking about? You see all them people up here? This all the money we got. Not all like we got. This all we brought with us. This all in the treasury bag. And even if we could get to town in time, it wouldn't be enough to feed all these people. Jesus said, do anybody have any food here? Says a little boy. Now, I don't know what Jesus going to do with this little fish. I mean, that ain't even enough for him. God tell you to sow a seed. I don't know what he going to do with this. I don't know how this going to make a difference. Well, none for you now. But you notice the little boy didn't say a word. He who got the 12 fragments, the 12 baskets of fragments, he just went, they're looking at themselves. They're looking at their resources. Jesus said, let me teach you something. First of all, sit down. It means stop stressing out. Take a seat. Whenever you have a problem, when it looks like it's not enough, the first thing you do is look to heaven. He took the little bit that he had. He lifted up to heaven. And he got something supernatural. You stuck in the natural because you'll never look to heaven. He looked to heaven. He said, Father, thank you that you can do the impossible. I thank you that every time I break this fish, it's going to be some left. I thank you that everybody going to get fed here today and it's going to be more than enough. And because he believed, he'll start breaking it. Star feeding people. It says, and we looked at the scripture the other day, and it says, and they all got filled. You can pull that up. It's Matthew, the 14th chapter, around the 14th verse. It says, they, and they all got full. Now, come on. You have been to a family reunion. You know how much it takes to get everybody full. It says, and they all got full, and then they picked up 12 baskets of fragments because Jesus had just got the breaking. And they was bringing their baskets back, and Jesus was still breaking. And they was like, don't nobody else want no more. And then he says, now picture this. This little boy got this little bitty lunch. And now he's trying to figure out how to get home with all the abundance that God gave him. Now his problem is not what to do with the too little. His problem is how in the world I'm going to get these 12 baskets of fish home but here's what i can bet you i bet you gave some away he gave the first fish you know he gave some away there are some things that you can just imply from the word of god you know he, if he if he was willing to give his fish 21 when it was all he had see that's how you know whether you ready for a miracle and impossible when you're willing to give your all when it's all you got when you pass that test, then now the question becomes, how do you disperse the abundance? Amen. Let's see. Let's take one more story and then we'll get some points. How about that? Say, say I make a choice to believe God. I love the Gospels 
anything that you could think of in your life that you can't figure out how God will do it, you can look in. God is not just practical. God is supernatural. God can literally take what is not enough, and because you look up to heaven, take it and multiply it. God can make $50 seem like it lasts a month. And you ain't hungry. All right. I think my story is in Luke. Did y'all hear about what Caleb did? Caleb, was re- Caleb and Chase are reading the book of Mark every day for 30 minutes. And Caleb came in our room and he said, I have a question. If you guys know Caleb, he's our intellectual kid. He says, why did a leopard kneel down at Jesus' knees? Did he not want his spots anymore? We're like, oh, no, baby, it was a leper. He said, I was trying to, un- I was confused for a minute. But I was thinking, you know what? It had been some adults who would have read that and wouldn't have known that a leper won a cat. I mean, a leper and a leper and a leopard aren't the same thing. And they'd have just had a vision in their mind. They'd have never asked anybody. They'd have never asked anybody. Amen. Let's go to Luke 5. Luke 5. My goal, my desire, my prayer for you is that you'll get so excited about what God desires to do in your life that it will literally burn up the doubt and unbelief. And that you'll start to believe God for what seems impossible. And then you'll get what seemed impossible. And then the glory will be seen in your life. And then people will say, how did you do that? And you'll say, I believe God. And they'll say, but I don't know how to believe God. And you'll say, come, let me teach you. And then they'll believe God for the impossible. And they'll get the impossible. And then somebody will see it now on the two of you. And then everywhere you go, you'll be a display of his glory because you let God do something that you couldn't do. Amen. Luke 5. Amen. Ask your neighbor, say, are you expecting a miracle? I am. I don't know about you, but I came here tonight expecting a miracle. There are some things in my life that I am believing God for that only God can do. There are some things in my life that I'm believing God for. I don't know a natural man that has the answer. I don't know a natural man with the ability. I know some people who would be willing to do it, but they don't have the ability to do it. But I love the attitude that Abraham had when they wanted to give him all that money. He said, no, 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 no. I'll never let you say you made me rich. Only God get the credit for making me rich. You, and it's just, I, I love that we're in this place that God is saying, I want to do things in your life that you've never seen. I want to go beyond what you imagine. I want to do something. in God, in your life, right here today, wants to do something in your life that, you, that only God could get the credit for. God has an answer for you that you're not smart enough to figure out. He got a plan that you, don't even, you, you, you couldn't even begin if you thought, oh, next month. 
to come up with the answer. But that's what he desires to do for you, number one, because he loves you. And number two, because he wants your glory, his glory to be seen through you. Luke, the fifth chapter. It says, look here, it says there, there were these two boats and Jesus needs a place to preach. And Jesus um, sees these two boats and he asked Simon Peter, he says, hey, let me use your boat so I can preach. And um, Simon says, okay. And um, so he gets on the boat and he preaches to the people. And when he gets through preaching to the people, he says to Simon, he says, now go out into the deep and let down your net. And Simon said to him, he said, um, we've been fishing all night and then nothing happened. Don't you see this boat empty? He said, but nevertheless, at your word, I'll try it one more time. Now, girl, if we was in a good Baptist church, I could preach to y'all one more time about how y'all ought to just try it one more time. It's some things in your life you ought to just try one more time. You tried it in your flesh and it didn't work. You've been toiling, but you ought to just try it one more time. But we fake. We weren't fake, so I ain't going to hoop y'all up like that. But the point's the same. There's some things in your life you ought to just try one more time. You ought to just go back to the job and apply one more time. You, you, you ought to just go and look at that house one more time. You ought to just lay hands on yourself one more time. So he goes out and he says, go out here in the deep. I, lo- I love how whenever God asks you to do something, he sends you out in the deep. The thing I love about God is that God takes you out to a place where it ain't nobody to depend on but him. Don't you understand that that's why you had the kind of dreams that you had that can't nobody else fulfill for you? Because he don't want you to give nobody else the credit for it and he don't want you to think that you did it. So he gives you a dream, a vision that's so big, that so far exceeds anything else. So in order to get there, you got to go out in the deep and be willing to look crazy and ain't nobody out there but you and God. First of all, look at all the things they could have said to Jesus. They could have said, look, Jesus, we heard you preach this good message. Last we checked. You're a carpenter, not a fisherman. That when you trade. Second of all, if you knew that much about fishing, why use our boat? Why ain't get your own boat? But instead they just went, we've been toiling and we ain't been producing nothing. I've been trying to get out of debt. I ain't producing nothing. I've been trying to get a new job. I ain't producing nothing. They said, but nevertheless, At your word, I'll do it one more time. It says that they literally, one translation says this. It says that when they dropped their net, the fish jumped in. Now, everybody know when you go fishing, you need bait. But their bait was the word. When Jesus said, drop your net one more time. Now, in broad daylight, when you're not supposed to go fishing, they were able to catch what they had the inability to catch toiling all night long. There are some things God wants to do for you that don't even make sense. It, the way you do it, he'll do it before you got a degree. He'll do it with your bad credit score. He'll do it anyway because he wants him to get the glory, and he wants you to see that it was him. It says so many fish jumped in the net. This is how God give abundance. You need to change your whole life. Uh uh uh. You need it. So many fish jumped in the net. It says 
their boat started to sink under the weight of the abundance. It says they got so many fish that their nets started to break. These weren't fishermen who fished casually. They fished for a living, and one word from God was able to do more than all of their experience and their ability could do. You trying to network. He said, all you need is a word. You trying to find somebody who knows somebody who will give you the hookup. All you need is a word. But they are experts. They say, this is how I got to do it. All you need is a word. They were experts too when they came home empty-handed. They got a word from, do you notice? They didn't even go to a different lake. They went right back to the same place that was non-producing for them before, and they had a word from God. Don't you get that God can take what's barren in your life, put a word on it, and what wouldn't produce before will produce? You tried to get the job in your own strength. They didn't care about your GPA. But now you go back on a word from God. No, no, I'm trying to help you get out of this intellect that it's about the credits you can get and it's about who know your name. No, it's about whose name you know. No, 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 it ain't about who know your name. It's about whose name you know. Went back. Now, I understand this. Everybody went fishing, ain't caught nothing. One fisherman get a word from God, go back to the same place that didn't produce nothing. Can you say you ought to try one more time? It's some things in your life you ought to try one more time. I've been to, you ought one more time. You ought to try one more time. Now, see, you can't be emotional. Because if I put Brother John on that, that guitar now, and he get to playing, and we get time out one more time, then you get to shout. But you ought to be to shout just off the fact that there are some situations in your life that have not worked. They have been non-producing. But if you get a word from God, it will change. And that from what I can tell based on this incident, the word that God give you going to seem stupid to all the experts. You know the people's out there talking about, what they doing? They out there listening to that preacher. That preacher don't know nothing about, you see all them fish come up in and what? He gets so many fish, they have to call somebody in to help them. And then, and then Peter gets a revelation. And he says, he cries, he says, depart from me because I'm wicked. Well, when he says he's wicked, he said, depart from me because I didn't think God cared about my life like that. Check this out. Jesus knows before they get all those fish that he's about to call him into ministry. But he don't just call him to leave his stuff all ragged and get their house repossessed. Well, I read you as an ambassador for Christ. So if he gave Peter. No, 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 no. See, 
I know y'all, y'all be, ah, oh, y'all be playing me. I'm telling you. Now he done gave four disciples supernatural debt cancellation, gave them ability to pay off all their debt so they could follow him freely. God is no respecter of persons. If he did it for Peter, he'll do it for you. I want y'all to go read this so y'all can get some. Four people in debt. How you know they was in debt? They was toiling. If they wasn't in debt, they'd have been chilling. If they didn't need that food, if they didn't need them fish, they'd have went to the house. They'd have been like, it's like this. If you go out there to recreationally fish and the fish don't bite, what you do? I'm going home. But when your life depends on it, they tore all night. And Jesus so cares about them as individuals. Cares about their families. Cares about their kids. Knows he's about to ask them to embark on a journey where they're going to have to give up everything. But the first thing he does before he sends them out is pays off their debt. That sounds like Second Corinthians to me that says, Then if we are ambassadors, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You are ambassadors of Christ. Go reconcile people. He said, The same thing I did for them, I'll do it for you. You can go over there in Second Kings and you can find there was a man who was doing the work of the kingdom. He had a borrowed axe. They, they, they cutting down trees. His axe head falls off the stick and goes in the water. He cries out to the man of God. He says, it's borrowed, it's borrowed. The man of God says, show me where it was. Sticks a stick out over the water. That's supernatural right there. He don't get no payment plan. He don't get no plan. How did I hear? They don't sell no pancake dinner. They don't have no garage sale. He takes a stick and he says, the, fit, the axe head swim. There was another woman in 2 Kings. Tell your neighbor, say, that's why you got to read your Bible. There was another woman in 2 Kings. Her husband was a man of God, but he died in debt. The Bible says they came to get his, her sons. She went to the man of God. She says, man of God, they're about to take my sons into captivity. What am I supposed to do? He said, what you got in your house? She said, I got a little bit of oil. He said, I'm about to put something supernatural on that oil. Here's what I need you to do. Go borrow you a bunch of vessels, and the oil go keep pouring until all the vessels go. He said, get enough of them vessels that you can pay off all of your debt. The Bible says that she went and borrowed vessels from everybody. I'm sure they said, now what a broke tail need them vessels for? I know she don't think she's about to start no business. God gave that woman a business, made her an entrepreneur with a little oil in her house. goes in the house, puts her sons to work. Put your seed to work is what that means. She put her seed to work for. She said, all right, let's start dividing them up. We're going to get the poor. We're going to get the poor. We get the poor. I'm sure that first couple times she was like, whoa, I know we ain't got that much. Oh, supernatural had taken place. That's what happens when you trust the word from God. Supernatural will show up in your life. I know you ain't got enough money to pay out city bank, but if you don't trust God, God will pay it off. She starts pouring oil, pouring oil, pouring oil, pouring oil, pouring oil. She tells her son, she said, bring me a vessel. He said, babe, she said, he said, mama, ain't nothing left. They all full. She takes them, starts selling them. 
She said, City Bank don't owe you no more. Mortgage people don't owe you no more. Back up off and get my papers, get my papers. And it says she lived off the rest. She li- He didn't just, I wish I could get you to understand. There is nothing about God in his makeup that could give you just enough. God doesn't even know what just enough means. How do I know? Because when he tried to feed 5,000 people and just the men, he still had 12 baskets left. God don't know nothing about bare minimum. He don't have bare minimum thinking. That's why Isaiah said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. So come on up here and get out of that loaded box thinking, thinking that all I got is $50, all I got is $40,000, the whole world is mine. In every one of those situations I named you, those people had to stop looking at themselves and look at God. They had tapped themselves out looking at themselves. But the moment they looked at God, hear my favorite one, whole nation gets supernatural debt cancellation. You can look this up too. Children of Israel about to leave the place they've been in bondage to. My God, God just put stuff in the Bible so you can know what your life's supposed to look like. He says, but God said, they can't go out empty-handed because they've been in bondage too long. He says, so go to your neighbors and borrow is the word he used. Now, you know when you borrow something, what that means? It means you're supposed to pay it back. He says, go borrow all that good stuff. And then I like that he said this. He said, send the women. Because the women know what good stuff is. He said, send the women, because if you send the men, and you show them a diamond and a cubic, they may not be able to tell the difference. One be like, mm-mm, mm-mm, no, no. Let me see the real stuff right there. He says, no, send the women, because they know the difference between a doony and a loony. He says, so send the women. The man just goes, it's got the little symbol on the inside. The woman goes, let me see. Let me see the serial number on the inside. He said, so, right, right, let, let, me, let me see. Let me, let, let, me, let me see what it feels. No, no, that's too light, baby. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. He says, send the women because they know the difference between gold and gold plated. He says, so send the women and tell them when they go. And plus, women possessive. And, and, and we are, uh, we're possessive and we're aggressive, too, when it's something that we like. And they went to them women, them women who had been enslaving them. They had been over there cooking for them and putting that china on their table and all that stuff. And they went, uh-uh, missy, uh-uh. I've been cleaning up for you for five years. Uh-uh, go back there and get that mink coat. That's what I need right there. Bring it on up here. Bring it on up here. But the Bible says that after they loaded up that stuff, in reality, if you read the story, they didn't go after them to get them back. They went after them to get their stuff. But when they got to this thing called the Red Sea, he said, what are we going to do? Red Sea in front of us? They come behind us to get their stuff. Moses said, what am I going to do, God? He says, stretch out your rod. Supernatural. Super, supernatural. If you read, see, see, you can't watch them TBN movies because they'll jack you up. They make you think they walk through on mud, but the Bible says they walked across on dry land. So not only did God 
take the water and pull it up like a wall. He then sent a supernatural vacuum cleaner through there and dried up all of that stuff so they walked through on dry land. They didn't even get their shoes muddy coming across. But it's not just a story. He still does that kind of stuff. And it's, it's not just a story. He still does that kind of stuff. It's, a, it's not just a story. God still supernaturally cancels death. It's not, I'm not just trying to tell you a story. I'm trying to get you. The Bible says Jesus told stories so that their hearts would begin to say, maybe it could happen to me. So then he could say, yes, it could happen to you. And then you can say, be it unto me according to your word. But it says that they came through with all their stuff, and then they tried to pursue after their stuff. Now you see what happened when people start chasing stuff. You chasing stuff. And now you so crazy that you don't realize that the God of your enemy is holding the wall up. And they got in the middle of that. And that water. Lord said, all my people through? Huh. Instant. Three million people. Supernatural debt cancellation. I'm going to preach a few more minutes because your faith found the building. But check this out. He get them gold, and they ain't got no place to spend it. They don't need it for food. They don't need it for shelter. They don't need it for their electric bill. He just give it to them because that's just who he is. Because that's just how he take care of his people. In Matthew 6, he says it like this. He says, why are you so worried about what you go eat and what you go drink and what you go wear? He said, man, check out the lilies. Look how pretty I make them, and they only last for a season. Look how nice the grass is, and it only lasts for a season. He says, if you read carefully, you'll find out if you go and look how good I did Solomon. My desire is to do you better than I did Solomon. He says, I know what you have need of, but I already taught you that when God says need, he never means need bare minimum. God always means need everything that you need to do what you call to do. Well, let's just end with this. So he says, I want to make you rich as Solomon. All right, well, how rich was Solomon? The Bible says that Solomon was the richest man that ever was. If you go back and and convert the gifts that he gave, into modern day, you know it's true. The Bible also says this in Isaiah, that when it talks about the the wealth in, in the Dead Sea, that the wealth that's in the Dead Sea is actually wealth that belonged to Solomon. I told y'all on Sunday that just because the stock market was losing money didn't mean the money was gone. I told y'all that every time there's a recession, there's a transfer of wealth. But you can't get a a transfer of wealth looking at yourself. Can I help you? You may have a job, but your job ain't going to make you wealthy. Ain't nothing wrong with having a job. A job ain't nothing but an opportunity to witness and sow seed. That's all a job is. An opportunity to witness and to sow seed. All right, how much wealth did Solomon have? Solomon had so much wealth that Sheba, who was the queen at that time of the most industrialized part of the world, came and saw Solomon's stuff and said she fainted. She said this. She said a half ain't been told. 
She said, they talking about how good y'all got it over here. She said, the Lord God done shown up, blessed Israel up in here. We ain't never seen no stuff like this. He said, she said, your cupbearers dress better than our princess. It says that they were so rich that they no longer had any use for silver. So they took the silver and threw it outside the city for the poor people. And God says that he desires to do you better. Now I'm going to deal with your last little religious spirit. What I'm going to do with all that money? Help people! What would I do if I could just throw away the silver? Help people! Stop looking to the government. They're not your answer. The kingdom of God is our answer. The kingdom of God is your answer, baby. All right. So I'm going to tell you these four things you got to do if you go get a miracle in your life. Number one, if you're going to get a miracle in your life, you got to see God as your source. You have absolutely, unequivocally got to make God your source. You have to stop looking at yourself and look at God. Over and over again tonight, I showed you that when a man got a miracle, it was because he stopped looking at himself. And he started looking at God. Take your eyes off yourself and look at God. So you got to see God as your source. Number two, you must expect God to do the impossible. You must expect God to do the impossible. You got to have an expectation that what is impossible to you is now possible because you're connected to God. Number three, when you give, not if you give, when you give, your faith must be attached to your seed. What does that mean? It means I cannot tithe because I'm afraid of being cursed. It means I must tithe as as my evidence that I believe God for the impossible. My seed, my money seed, the time I spend in the word, the time I the time I spend with confessions, I have to attach my faith to it. I can't do it as a ritual. I can't give as a ritual. I gotta attach my faith to it. Every one of those people had to give something. Even the one with the issue of blood had to give something. She had to be willing to give her life because if she got caught out there, she was gonna get stoned. All right. Number four, I must line my confession up with what I am expecting. I got to say what God has said. I must line my confession up with what I am expecting. I must say what God has said. Let me give you an example of that. If God says in his word, and he does say this, by my stripes you were healed. I am not in proper alignment with him if I say God's going to heal me. I must say what God has said. If God says that he has supplied all of my needs according to his riches and glory, I cannot say God will take care of me. I must say God is taking care of me. 
What are you going to do about your rent? God is taking care of me. How are you going to pay for school? God is taking care. I must line my confession. My good friend said this to me today, and I thought it was so profound. She said, most people don't realize it's not just the confessions that you make in your confession time that shape your life. And the problem for most people is that you make confessions in here, but as soon as you get in a pressure situation, you say something other than what God said. And then you feel like God let you down. But you got what you believed. Does that make sense to everybody? You got to say what God has said. And just as a little insert, you got to shut your mouth when you can't agree with God. There are some times when the pressure may seem so great and it seems like you can't agree with God. That is the time to shut your mouth. That is not the time to call your friend who carnal, who don't believe God. It's not the time to call the five people you know who believe for their rent and they didn't get it. It is now the time to call the one person you know who did get it. Amen. And then number five. You must praise God because you believe you receive. You must praise God because you believe that you receive. That's why when you come in on Wednesday night and say that you believe in God for a word, it ought to be evidenced by your praise. When you come in on Sunday, even before you sit down to pray, to do your own personal Bible study, you ought to worship the Lord because worship reminds you who where your expectation is. Man, listen. Let me tell you what God wants to do in your life in case you cannot see it. God wants you out of debt. God does not get any joy out of you being in bondage to debt. God wants you free to use your resources the way he has instructed you. God doesn't care how you got in debt. If you did something stupid, he already know it. So just confess that you did something stupid and then expect God to do what you can't do for yourself. If you did something stupid, you know you need a miracle because you obviously weren't smart enough to know what to do. So just say. The last three great revivals that you'll see, it'll be a miracle of souls. It'll be a harvest of miracles, a harvest of souls, a harvest of miracles, and a harvest of finances. The harvest and the miracles, the soul, the money and the miracles are going to proceed the souls. I want you to get your expectation up. I want you to see you paying off your own debt. So you can see yourself paying off somebody else's debt. If that'll become your heartbeat, 
Number one, you ought to want your house of God to be out of debt. Praise God. We ain't got a lot of debt. Praise the Lord. But you ought to say, I want the house of God. Why? Because the house of God gives out meat. Word meat. And every other kind of meat that we can provide. You got to say, debt freedom has got to become important to you. Now hear me. There's nothing wrong with having a plan. But get a plan from God. And even though you have a plan, don't limit God to that plan. A job, God is your source. A job is a resource. A plan is a resource. But God is the source. And so many times people get their eye focused on one resource and make it the source, and then there's no other way that God can get anything to you. God's greatest desire is for his people to be free, for his children to be free. Why? Because freedom begets freedom. Freedom births freedom. When I get free, I can minister to you. That's just like last week. When God started moving and delivering people about the love of God. Well, I can do that because I've experienced the love of God and I'm free. But what would have happened if God started talking about the love of God and then y'all look over there and I'm curled up in the corner. Crying, don't nobody love me. That don't really work for deliverance for nobody. So you're del- get your expectation up. Speak to your debt. You ought to say things like, Psalms 112, I believe it is, it says, wealth and riches are in my house. Out of your mouth, you ought to be saying, wealth and riches in my house. And I'll be honest with you, I don't care if you give every dime of it away. But it's your inheritance and you ought to have it. It is your inheritance and you ought to have it. It absolutely, unequivocally belongs to you because your father created the world. Your brother Jesus reconciled you so that you would have access to it again. It belongs to you. It doesn't belong to the heathen. It is a tragedy that people have to look up to rappers. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy that when you want to find a nice house, you got to find somebody who do something that don't glorify God. In reality, here's what you got to understand. People who have never seen the glory of God are very impressed by imitation glory. Imitation glory is fame and stuff. Well, if you get stuff, you've just equaled a playing field. And then you've upped the playing field because you got real glory. Because you're connected to the source. This is so important. You say, it don't matter what kind of car I drive. Yes, it does. You will be amazed at how many people will ask you about the car you drive, give you an opportunity to witness. You'll be amazed. You ever seen somebody in a nice car? What you do? They at the gas station with you. You try to look around and be smooth. Check it out. What year is that? Oh, my God. Well, when that's you, that car becomes a tool. Because you know that people look at certain kind of cars. So you drive a certain kind of car. So when kids come up to you and they go, man, how you get that? What you do? You be like, I serve Jesus, man. You serve Jesus, he'll do that for you too. Gee, are you a preacher? Nope. 
What you do? I work at Walmart. You work at Walmart? You sell drugs? No. All right, you work at Walmart. You don't sell drugs. How you get this car? God good to all his kids. You got somebody's attention. You see a kid. They don't have no food. You find out a kid don't have no food. Imagine how great it would be if somebody who worked in the school system buried a raft, they could call us and they could say, these three kids don't have no food. You need to load a truck up to their house. Just put it out here. Who this come from? God. Come on, guys. That's why we got to do this. So we can send people to the mission field. This concludes our message. Thank you for supporting Fellowship of Champions Church International. To order other products or for partnership information and other resources, visit us at championsforlife.org or write to us at 1105 Deer Street, Conway, Arkansas, 72032. Thank you for listening and continue with us as we build Champions for Life.